0: Bitcoin, billing errors, and zero day after zero day after zero day. All that and more on the Naked Security Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am Doug. He is Paul. And we've got a veritable cornucopia of security stories for you here today. Some about
1: crocodiles. Technically, there's only one crocodile.
0: Thank you for clarifying.
1: And it's not an actual crocodile. It's only a metaphorical crocodile. There we go. So if you're expecting like a great snapping frenzy, you might be disappointed. But it is a wacky story in its own right. Yes. So hang in
0: there. Important clarification. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we'd like to start the show with a fun fact. And it's been a snowy winter here in the US, but not as snowy as 1978 when not one but two major blizzards hit in rapid succession. The so-called Great Blizzard of 78 dropped 52 inches, or 130 centimeters, in Muskegon, Michigan in late January. While the so-called Northeastern Blizzard of 78 dropped 27 inches, about 70 centimeters, in Boston in early February. And uh, I do have a way of bringing that fact back into the show when we talk about our This Week in Tech History segment. So strap in for that. Um, Let's talk about crocodiles. Uh, Excuse me one crocodile
1: (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) this is uh one self proclaimed crocodilian person yeah it doesn't really
0: work if you give yourself the nickname but this is the self-styled crocodile of wall street
1: yeah nicknames don't work that way do they no they don't you can't give them to yourself
0: i've been trying to get people to call me cool doug for years and uh it has not caught on it just doesn't work that way but this uh this lady the crocodile of wall street with her husband They've been accused of stealing many, many Bitcoins to the tune of many, many dollars. So what's, what's happening here?
1: Well, what's fascinating about this, Doug, is this apparently goes back to the infamous Bitfinex breach back in 2016, mm-hmm. which was one of the early large-scale, oh dear, we're a cryptocurrency exchange and we had a bank robber, virtual bank robbery. It's alleged that these two people, husband and wife team, the, the woman calling herself, <laughs> oh dear, the crocodile of Wall Street uh-huh. and her husband, they're alleged to have, if not actually done the hack that allowed them to wander off with all these customers' investments at Bitfinex, at least to have come across or acquired some or all of the proceeds of that heist. So they're not accused of doing the heist, but of knowingly coming into money that they didn't get lawfully. It was, at the time, a whopping $72 million worth of bitcoins.
0: I am looking at the, uh, the original article. It is adorable that uh, the, the, uh, the teaser text on there is they stole nearly 120,000 bitcoins worth about $72 million.
1: Yes, that's the crunch, isn't it? 120,000 bitcoins at today's value. Is north of four thousand million or four billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're being charged with the offences related to the bitcoins, not to the dollar amount. But a lot of media articles said, "Oh, you know, New York couple alleged to have stolen four point five billion dollars in bitcoins." Ironically, at the time, well, it was a mere seventy-two million. Doug. The interesting thing about this case, if we take the allegations at face value for a moment. It seems that the real complexity for the people who are accused of it is cashing out the money. And there are all these machinations that investigators claim they were able to track down, showing them trying to set up accounts and coming up with all these cover stories. So they're charged with, in plain English, with trying to shift around cryptocurrency that they knew was stolen, whether they stole it themselves or not, and of Fraud, in other words, telling a whole bunch of lies along the way to give the impression to places where they could cash out the crypto coins that they had acquired them legally. But the vast majority of them, some significant percentage, I think around 80% of them, were kind of, as far as I can make out, sitting in cold wallets in the cloud. So it all hinged on, as far as I can make out, these cold wallets getting cracked. It turned out that dispersing them and cashing them out uh, was quite a complicated exercise. And in fact, if you go to the article on naked security and click through to the various law enforcement links, it's a fascinating article by, I think it was an IRS investigator, all the bits they had to piece together. And it's quite fascinating the the machinations that these people are alleged to have gone through, in some cases to cash out as, as little as $500 at a time to buy gift cards. It seems, if it's true, they did manage to live a pretty high life, but the vast majority of these supposedly stolen funds were still sitting there while the alleged perpetrators tried to figure out what to do with them.
0: I'm trying to think of how you would launder or tumble that much. It's just, it's mind-boggling. You you couldn't do it. Even if they tried to tumble it all, that would clearly raise some red flags, right?
1: There's this whole backstory they had to create to to avoid triggering alarms at exchanges that were trying to do the right thing, you know, including, well, let's do the transactions in smaller amounts so that they don't necessarily need to be reported. It's quite a fascinating story. If, in the end, some of the people who had lost their funds at the start <laughs> yep. get them back in dollars, they'll probably be fairly happy. But if they get them back in bitcoins, oh, boy. They'll, they'll probably be really, really, really interested. Because, like I said, it, what was $72 million at the time is north of $4,000 million worth of Bitcoins now.
0: All right. That is an interesting story. It's a self-styled crocodile of Wall Street arrested with husband over Bitcoin mega heist on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And uh, something kind of the reverse of a mega heist. We have a, uh, uh, what can only be charitably referred to as a, uh, a billing error. Like when you're playing Monopoly, bank error in your favor. To the 2 of Oh,
1: yes. I'd forgotten about that card. <laughs> Bank error in your favor. Yep. It's $50, isn't it?
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, this was slightly larger. A little bit more dramatic than that, Doug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as we can make out, this was uh, recent severe storms in the north and northeast of the United Kingdom. And this relates to a power com- company that operates in northeast England. So this chap had a power outage, and because of the power provision in the UK is privatized for the companies that get the franchises to operate these power companies there are terms and conditions and if you're without power for a certain time they have to pay you a predetermined compensation so i imagine he would have been getting a payout perhaps in the low hundreds of pounds but they made a blunder dug hmm and i don't know whether it was actually an underlying software flaw that's still there or whether this was a special case because it was a it was a storm bad enough to get a special name. Storm Arwen was the first of the season, thus A, that maybe you know there was a special case, oh, send us a CSV file and we'll, we'll just shove it through the system. And apparently, oh dear, they took his electricity meter serial number <laughs> as the amount to refund. Mm-hmm. So instead of getting, say, £210, which would be, say, three days at £70 a day, he got, Doug, 2 trillion, 324 billion, 252 million, 80,110 pounds. How about that? He had a 13-digit payment <laughs> number. That's a lot of and bitcoins. they actually sent him a check attached to a letter signed, and I'm using air quotes. And yep. It was obviously a pre-scanned signature, but it wasn't just an email. It was actually a letter that came through the mail with a good old-school check with a QR code, crossed, account of pay only, <laughs> yep. pay, this person's name only, converted into words. The amount was so long that it didn't actually <laughs> it fit into even the
0: box. It doesn't even fit.
1: <laughs> so it wouldn't even be a valid check because the words and numbers can't match yep. because it runs out just before the one. Yep. And then it should say £110 and 0 pence or oh, whatever. That's but that's bad. missing. So he saw the funny side and he posted to Twitter saying, Dear at Power Company Concerned, are you sure you have enough money to cover this amount? I looked it up and it is, it is slightly more than the annual GDP <laughs> of the economy of the entire United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. There you go. So it would probably have bounced. I think had so. I tried to present it. <laughs> and although we laugh, you kind of think. I wonder how that happened. And to be fair to the power company, they have apologised. They have said they'll do the best to actually get the checks that these people can cash because they are entitled to compensation and they're trying to figure out how it happened. And I do hope that they are able to find out and they do go public with that information because it will be a fascinating story. Is it something, an underlying flaw in the software, which obviously needs addressing? Or was it the special case so we'll use a special procedure, and maybe it hadn't been tested or validated the whole process as much as it should. So it will be interesting to see how this happened.
0: And well, and for all the stories we talk about here, where it end in uh, validate thine inputs, we now get to say validate. Don't forget to validate thine outputs too, because this this could have gotten caught uh, many times over, whether flagged for such a huge amount or requires supervisor signature. Or who knows what else? Yes.
1: <laughs> Requires supervisors, supervisors, supervisors. Too many supervisors required error. (laughs) You'd think, you're exactly right, Doug. In this case, clearly, the input wasn't validated because it's absurd. But the output should have been caught. Why not check the output as well? Because that's what's actually going on the check. So the point is that even though this did come from using the wrong input, the 13-digit electricity (laughs) meter serial number, instead of an amount in pounds and pennies. If you've missed the chance to catch it on the input, you've got a second chance to catch it at the output, and two checks are always going to be better than one.
0: Exactly. Check that out. That article is called Power Company Pays Out $3 Trillion Compensation to Astonished Customer on NakedSecurity.Sophos.com. It's time for This Week in Tech History. Well, we talked about the great blizzard of 78 a little earlier in the show, and this week on February 16th, 1978, the first public BBS, or bulletin board service, was launched by Chicago's Ward Christensen and Randy Seuss. The two men began work on the BBS weeks earlier after being snowed in by the storm. The CBBS, or computerized bulletin board system, as they called it, was modeled after the Cork bulletin board Christensen's computer club used to post things for sale, helpful information, and requests for rides. While Christensen provided the hardware for the BBS, an S100 bus computer and a Hayes modem, Seuss's home served as a nice central location in the city of Chicago, where the connection to the BBS was a local call for most users. I had forgotten that, so I, the BBS was a little before my time, but not super before my time. I remember very as very young computer user connecting to BBSs, and I had forgotten that you couldn't just connect to whatever you wanted because sometimes it was a long distance call. So when I wanted to go get help with the uh, Sierra online games I was playing, I had to call out to California and it was a long distance call.
1: Outside North America, Doug, certainly in most countries with a British heritage, local calls were metered as well as long distance ones. Ooh! So you had to pay for as long as you wanted to stay on. But that did have a slight advantage on its flip side there was an incentive not to stay on for hours and hours and hours once you got access to one of the three modems that the bbs operator had in their home because of course you needed a separate phone line and a separate phone bill and a separate number for each one huh so that was the flip side for us although you had to pay you know it wasn't dollars a minute but it was certainly tens of cents a minute to stay on locally it did mean that there was an incentive not to hog the line. It meant that people couldn't jump on in the morning and then just keep the line open all day long.
0: Very cool. All thanks to the great blizzard of 78. Uh, we have a blizzard
1: of zero-day stories. That's good, Doug. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's, that's a triple play segue. <laughs> great. If you ask me. That's what I'm looking for. Very happy with that.
0: Um, so when we talk about zero days, if a you know a regular person were to ask what a zero day is, is it fair to say it's uh, it's basically uh, some sort of security hole or exploit that is discovered and abused by a bad guys before the good guys notice it? So in other words, this isn't a bug that's caught and fixed; it's caught because it's already been abused.
1: Yes, uh, in modern parlance, the the, the zero is meant to remind you that even if you are the most proactive patcher in the world, even if you have a a system for your entire organization's network that grabs and pushes out patches minutes after they appear, in the case of a zero-day exploit, there are quite literally zero days during which you could have been ahead of the bad guys. But my understanding is that the term was transferred from the early days of uh, game piracy where the big game-creating software houses would drop in a brand new game and then the game crackers would go to work trying to figure out how to play it without buying the box, getting the license code. You remember those magic, those weird maps you'd get that were printed in funny colors mm-hmm. so you couldn't scan them and what's the third word on the 17th page of the <laughs> manual all of that stuff? And the crackers would try and remove that part of the program so it would work illegally. And if you could get a crack on the fourth day, that was pretty good. If you could get a, like a three-day crack, that was very good. And the ultimate crack, of course, would be the zero day, which meant that you actually cracked it on the same day it came out. So that metaphor was transferred to bugs. But of course, in the case of the bugs, the crooks could have found them long before.
0: Yeah, and we're talking about three large companies that are affected here, Apple, Adobe, and Google. So three separate stories, but as I'm reading all three of these stories, I'm seeing some of the same phrases over and over. I'm seeing zero-click attacks, I'm seeing arbitrary code execution, I'm seeing use-after-free. So three separate incidents, but um, kind of the same means to an end in, in almost all of them.
1: Well, we don't know exactly what form the bug took in Apple's case. Because they just said, we're aware of a report that this CVE may have been actively exploited.
0: That's odd. They weren't more forthcoming. That's weird.
1: (laughs) Well, Apple's, of course, was in WebKit. It doesn't just mean that it's in Safari, as we spoke in a previous podcast. It means it's in the code that sits under Safari. So it's in any app that uses the WebKit rendering engine, say for its help. And it's also in any browser on your iPhone, because browsers on the iPhone aren't allowed to bring their own rendering engines. Even though it might not be Safari on top, it has to be WebKit underneath.
0: So I'm guessing not a lot of, not a lot of people know that If you're downloading Firefox for iOS, you might think, oh this is uh, this is actual the actual Firefox engine underneath this. it's not
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people perhaps quite reasonably like to have a bit of divide and conquer, don't they? So you might decide, I know what I'll use Google as my search engine. Having done that, well I'll use say Outlook.com for my free email. So it's a a different company. Mm -hmm. And then I'll stick to Meta or Facebook for my social networking. So that's another company. And I'll stick to Firefox, my browser, because that's not associated with any of the others. But you're right. On iOS and iPad OS, so on iPhones and iPads, all browsers that make it into the App Store have to use WebKit underneath. So as you see with IoT devices, you could have three different brands, but actually if you peel the label off, it's all the same product underneath. And so that certainly happens with browsers on Apple's operating system. Having said that, you mentioned Adobe, Doug, and their bug in some ways is a bit more dramatic because it wasn't a bug on the client side in the browser. It was a bug in Adobe's e-commerce products (laughs) on the server side. When the word e-commerce comes in, Uh you think, "Oh no!" Insufficient input validation bug basically means an untrusted user, whether it's you know like log4shell style, just fill in a form with garbage, add weird HTTP headers. We don't know. Adobe isn't saying exactly how the bug happened, but it did admit a little bit more than Apple, and it said it was aware that the CV in that case has been exploited in the wild, but then they couldn't resist adding. In very limited attacks. <laughs> of course. And you're thinking, yeah, that's obviously better than if every single customer using Adobe Commerce or Magento, the open source version, got attacked. Limited attacks are better than widespread attacks. But think of Colonial Pipeline. One company got ransomware and three days later, people were pumping gasoline into plastic bags <laughs> in Delaware. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or, I may have made up some of the details there. So limited attacks can nevertheless not be that limited in their side effect. And like you said, this was a case of one of those cases where you don't get any buses at all and then three come along at once. (laughs) One just before the weekend. I think Adobe was over the weekend and Google came out yesterday. That's Valentine's Day as we're recording. And they reported a zero day in Chrome, Doug. I presume means that some or perhaps all chromium based browsers may be affected too so that would include things like microsoft edge which i would say is the the second most widely used chromium based browser out there and again google isn't saying much in fact you could argue that for all their project zero and hey let's be open and honest about bugs they've said the least again aware of reports that an exploit exists in the wild sort of like hey, we haven't seen it ourselves. Yeah. It's just a report. <laughs> but it's an o day. <laughs> Yeah, And like you said, they, it, uh, it wasn't the only bug of its class in this bunch of Chrome updates. It was one of five so-called use-after-free bugs, which is where a software program mismanages memory in a way that could allow someone essentially to exploit one part of the program to poke a knitting needle into another part of the program because the first part of the program carries on using memory that it shouldn't use even after it's handed it back and it's been lent to someone else to do something else with.
0: All right, so the extra important in all three cases of these to patch, um, especially in this, this Chrome one. I guess in the Apple one too. And
1: Adobe. And I guess in the e-commerce one. Yeah, <laughs> why not?
0: <laughs> okay, well. As we said, those are three different articles. We've got Apple zero-day drama for Macs, iPhones, and iPads, patch now. Adobe fixes zero-day exploit in e-commerce code, update now. And Google announces zero-day in Chrome browser, update now. All three of those on nakedsecurity.sofos.com. It's time for the oh-no of the week. And this week, we've got an unfortunate comment from Naked Security reader Richard, who, on the story about the $3 trillion check from the power company, writes... I was sent a demand to pay $0 once, and then a few weeks later, a penalty of $15 for not paying the bill of $0. Now, that sounds about right as far as billing errors go from power companies, in my experience.
1: Yes, and that's why I think, although there's a funny side to the $2 trillion error, because it's just so jolly obvious, well, that's a little bit like, you know, we talk about use after free. If someone pokes garbage into a little bit of memory, that is part of an image you're trying to display, then either the image will not display at all or it'll just have some weird noisy garbage in the middle of it. It'll be obvious that something went wrong. But what if, in the case of a drive-by download, it all looks okay, but in the background something happened that you didn't notice? And that's the problem here. He, he says explicitly, Doug, actually, I was sent a demand to play 0.0. <laughs> yeah. As though they normally only asked for for, amounts rounded to the nearest pound or dollar or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he got a penalty for not paying 0.0. Why would you print 0.0? I don't know any currencies that work with tenths. Maybe the problem there was that they had incorrectly displayed what was actually going on, which means that it's entirely impossible for him to troubleshoot it.
0: Well, I do wonder if it was the total he was supposed to pay was... Displayed incorrectly, or if he was actually current on his bill and there's just a Boolean in this billing software that says if user doesn't make payment, then charge $15. Something like that. Oh, you that.
1: mean later on, it doesn't actually check how much he didn't pay. Yeah. If- it just checks here's the list of people who haven't paid. Yeah. We
0: sent a bill. It doesn't matter he whether didn't
1: it's $1,000 it. or $12. Yeah. Charge them 15 bucks. Yep. Yeah, that's another problem, isn't it? Which is why check on inputs and check on outputs.
0: Very good. Bringing it all back Um, home. Good job, Paul. If you have a no-no you'd like to submit, we'd love to read on the podcast. You can email tips at sophos.com. You can comment on any one of our articles. You can hit us up on social, at Naked Security. That's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. For Paul Ducklin, I'm Doug Ameth, reminding you until next time to
1: Stay secure.
0: Secure.